welcome to this episode of DQ Chats, brought to you by Drama Queensland. My name is Stephanie Tudor and I'm the President of Drama Queensland. Before we begin, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded on, the Turrbal and Yagara people, and pay my respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. I wish to thank them for their long and rich history of storytelling and acknowledge them as first artists, the first storytellers and the first creators of culture on this land. In today's episode, we're going to take you back to our conference, Elevate, which we held earlier this year. On the Friday night, we held a panel, Rising Above, which was all about arts advocacy. And in our current world and educational landscape, arts advocacy has become more important now than ever. We were so grateful to be joined by an amazing panel of distinguished arts educators and industry professionals who talked to us about how they champion drama and the arts and drama education in their relevant sectors. They also gave some amazing practical tips about what we can all do in our schools and communities to continue to advocate for our subject. This panel was chaired by Judith McLean and also featured Julie Dunn, Sharon Hogan, Trisha Clark Fuchs, Emma Fennell and Tanya Nielsen. We hope you enjoy this rich discussion about arts education and how we can keep rising above and advocating for our subject. I'm Judith McLean and I've had a long history in drama and it's my absolute pleasure to be here along with this in illustrious, illustrious group of women. Um, I'm going to ask as we go through the panellists, because it's a big panel and I'll actually hurry up because we haven't got a lot of time, um, if they would introduce themselves because they can um, perhaps tell us what, what school or organisation they're from. And I'm going to throw them a challenge. What's the most exciting thing that's happened to you in the last little while? So if you can start with that, that'll raise the dopamine. Um, <coughs> This is a really well-organised panel. I'll tell you why, and congratulations to um, the committee that put it together, because we have diversity, we have openness, we have people with superior verbal and written skills, and I know that, because Trisha's just finished her PhD in the last 12 months, <laughs> and she writes beautifully. Um, and we have people who can engage and make contact, and it seems to me these are the skills of the 21st slash 21st century. And these are the skills that you get when you study drama. Um, the theme of the conference is Elevate. And very quickly, etymologically, I looked up um, what um, Elevate meant. Um, and it means actually to put into high spirits. And that is intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. And I don't think we talk enough around the spirit and what we do in drama education. And um, uh, it suggests to me that by the end of this conference, that if we each elevate each other in a way, that it might serve as an antidote to some of the horrors and the, the awful things that are actually happening around. And I'm sure we're going to come to those. But really, just so we're not sort of being Pollyanna-ish, we acknowledge the scaling problems, mandated content, lack of confidence in teachers' ability to teach, external exams, the problems with STEM and STEAM, and the decline in class numbers. Um, these are very real structural problems. And we can work as hard as we like, but these have to be actually um, worked on. And I know Drama Queensland is doing that. Mm. Um, and I know that um, you are doing that as well, people on the panel. 
And so, Tanya, I wanted to start with you because I know you have had some success in actually countering um, these these problems. So could you talk to us a bit about that? And particularly, oh no, we're going to come on to that later, but if you just talk about how you've gone about that. <laughs> um, straight in there, guys. Let me take you on a journey. It started in <laughs> mid-2000s. Um, so for background of those who don't um, know me or I haven't met, I was the head of drama at Brisbane Grammar School for 14 years. I work as a sessional academic with Trish um, at QUT in drama education and I've just transitioned to a new role as a project officer at STEAM at my school. When I started at Grammar, there was one um, composite class, year 11 and 12 drama, and that's it. And um, it's at that time and still is the number one academic school in the state. So very, very big emphasis on um, getting high OP scores and we continue to have that with ATAR. So the first uh, drama class that I walked into, the boys were actually sleeping and I just went, not on my watch doll. This is not going <laughs> to happen. Um, but I, I was really disheartened because I knew that I had a big job ahead of me. Um, what you need to know is you do not need a lot of money and you do not need a lot of resources because I didn't have that. So even though my school has a lot of money, what was given to the drama department and our facilities, um, uh, and they still are very humble, you need professional agility, you need passion and you need resilience. So I started with transparency. So we're in the heart of the school but no one knew what we were doing. Um, and so uh, I had to start with the productions. If you were a drama teacher, you must direct. You must direct shows. It makes you a better practitioner. It builds rapport with your students. Um, and, you know, so it started with the shows. Then it was the hustle to get um, drama starting in grade eight um, and, you know, so working on that. And it is about showing what we do in the subject. We, we talk about it as teachers, show me, don't tell me. You can advocate till the cows come home, but if the school doesn't see what you can produce, they actually don't understand it. So, and then also make the connections. I was a solo operator. Now we have, I believe, um, seven in our department, Ben. Seven, uh, yeah. Yep, seven drama teachers, and we have the largest number of students studying drama in Australia. And our elective year last year was year 10 and it was 150 boys <coughs> elected to do the subject. So we eventually got <laughs> into year five drama. I'd never taught primary in my life and I had to seek outside the school. There was no one else. There were no other drama teachers. So I asked Trish. She helped me conceptualise um, a year five program and two years later, welcome to clown school, guys. Um, <laughs> and basically I invested as much in the primary program mm -hmm. as you do in the senior. And it starts, if your context is different than mine, start in your classroom and basically at, um, you know, subject selection evenings. I don't talk about making um, the students become actors and directors, but I say they will become engineers and doctors and lawyers 
and, and anything they want to be because that's what the parents will buy into. We have a very small percentage of students that go off into the arts and that's okay. The goal was to create lifelong learners of drama so that they take that into their other subject areas. Yeah, yep. I could talk for ages. Okay, we're going to come back I to you. The, I got the eye. <laughs> yeah. I got the wink. Um, <laughs> um, I guess just, just to comment yeah. to you, Tanya, the thing that I would say is that what is coming through, the subtext of what you're saying, is that you've demonstrated leadership that you've actually taken responsibility and said, I have to make this happen and worked, yeah. worked it so that it would. Yeah. Um, great, we'll come back to you. Sharon, in the pre-meeting, you talked a lot about partnerships mm. and um, you've had such an extensive career working in the corporate sector as well as primary, as well as secondary and tertiary. Um, I wonder um, how you might go about convincing people to... Uh, be a part of some some sort of partnership in your school. How do you do that? Um, for a start, I think it's how we position young people and I see young people as artists mm. in their own right. And if you want to engage with creativity mm. and fresh ideas, um, I see young people not, not even as emerging artists. I see them right there and then. So I think it's how we position young people is, is really important. Mm. Um, I think I, I want to talk a little bit about partnerships in our community. So I've been teaching at James Nash up in Gympie for the last five years and this year I've actually taken um, a year off work because I wanted to set up a theatre company in Gympie because there's a lack of arts infrastructure in regional areas and what I noticed, and this is the idea about partnerships with our community and also pathways for our students, what was happening is we had these incredibly talented, amazing, creative young people who then literally left school and there was nothing. And some of them stayed in their bedrooms <coughs> probably for 12 months. Our mental health obviously is also an issue in a lot of regional communities as well. So I suppose what my point is is that we're all part of an ecosystem and we're all, part, we're all part of a system. And if one part of our system is, is struggling, then that impacts on all of us. Mm. And I think what's happened with COVID and so on is liveness and, and that idea of, of drama in the community, drama being visible in our schools to sort of hit on what Tanya was saying, being as a viable, you know, that creativity is actually for everybody and really, really important in all communities so I suppose I see my role as an arts educator and as a performance maker is to be part of that ecosystem but also to connect young people with that ecosystem. So for us at James Nash, we've, we went into drama and practice fairly heavily because only 25% of our students do an ATAR. So when I left um, at, at the end of last year just to go on leave, might go back, might not, might not, um, <laughs> there was um, we had three Year 11 Drama and Practice classes mm -hmm. and one Year 12 Drama General class. So that's really healthy in Year 11. So our numbers are holding, we're doing well. And I think part of that is because we've always seen ourselves as part of a bigger ecosystem We've always connected with artists. 
we're always asking artists into the schools, but we also see the young people as artists and we as teachers as artists. Um, so I think that idea of co-artistry and being part of the one ecosystem is really, really important and that we all actually have to nurture each other. Our artists that are here, our theatre companies, our students, if we do that, I think we actually build a stronger community uh, for all of us. So that's probably my yeah. two cents worth. Um, beautiful. I had just um, one more question to you, Sharon. Um, a lot of people talked about feeling overwhelmed um, and the tensions, the tension between overwhelmness and absolute burnout. Any suggestions? Any comments? Um, I'm a shocker for burnout. <laughs> um, every I, I think we all are. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we give so much as educators and every four years I have had to step away, to be honest, and gone and done something else and then I feel refreshed and I come back. Mm -hmm. But I think for me it's actually been... What, what, the recipe for burnout for me is firstly acknowledging that sometimes we work in a really shitty construct mm -hmm. but all we can do is do the best work we can do within that. So we almost have to let that go, let any angst go, let any, you know, as Margie said, there's structural things, there's systems, there's stop signs in front of us but for us to not burn out we have to realise what we can change and what we can't and that really, at the end of the day, there's some days where I go, do you know what? Today's just going to be my act of kindness day. I can't move and shake or change anything, so I'm just going to commit as many acts of kindness as I can today to 40 people in the school. So I don't count, but I go, right, this is it. It's acts of kindness <laughs> because I'm part of that ecosystem and by me doing that, that renews yeah, me yeah. and it, it's that, that gratitude um, that not feeling overwhelmed yeah. and have a holiday. That's yeah. the other one. And, and, and <laughs> sorry, what you've said is so important because we know mirror neurons reflect and we know that kindness actually is contagious. Mm. So that's a gorgeous answer. And, you know, I just had, while you were speaking, that idea of the stop sign and the bird flying around it and under it and over it. It's a gorgeous metaphor, isn't it, to think. So thanks, Margie. Trish, um, uh, <laughs> In the, you know, I'm an avid reader now, I'm retired. I'm an avid reader of... You were always an avid reader. Uh, ..of newspapers. <laughs> and um, there was a report in the editorial in The Australian, and don't judge me for reading The Australian, I only read it on Saturdays. <laughs> but there was um, a report... <laughs> There was a report that one in ten teachers graduating, not drama teachers, but one in ten teachers graduating from um, their teaching degree do not have adequate numeracy or literacy skills. And somehow I, I started thinking about, I know your shtick and I know you love talking about agency. Mm. Is, there a, is there a relationship between there and, and what does that have to do with drama, if anything? Well, okay. So what I need to say is in my experience, our drama students are not, our drama education students, are not actually failing land type, which is the name of that test. Um, they're going, they're flying through literacy with flying colours. Um, numeracy, we're having to do a bit of work on, but numeracy is actually quite genuinely, we're finding we can shift numeracy, but we find it harder to shift literacy. And the research tells us that we, you know, just being in a drama classroom, it actually, you know, changes literacy. Um, I do want to talk about agency, though. I, I definitely want to talk about agency. You know, I think it's... We're, 
when the ground's shifting beneath us all, and it's definitely shifting for me at university, and I know it's happening um, in schools, and it's really hard to keep your sense of agency and hope. And I think that it's something that we, we need to have some tangible things that we can do. And so I spent some time thinking about that, Judith. Um, and, you know, there's two big pushes that are affecting, you know, tertiary and secondary school. And the, the two big pushes are, you know, first of all, this global push towards standardisation this incredibly powerful push that's happening and no one seems to be pushing back. And the second one is the, the push for accountability, which for some of us, you know, I don't think necessarily me, but for some of us it feels like um, a lack of professional trust and, and that's really problematic. So I think there's a real danger of, of us losing agency if we're really not careful. And... The perfect storm is happening in Queensland because we have the most prescriptive syllabuses that we have ever had in this state. And that's, that's kind of been a, a, something that has probably put more pressure on us than we've ever been. And I've got to say, you know, some schools in, in, in protecting their own interests um, have turned learning into a checkbox activity um, where they're not... It's, it's about achieving the end point, teaching to the test, and there's a real deficit in what we probably are all attracted to about the arts, which is that lifelong learning, that, that long commitment to, to ourselves and developing ourselves, et cetera. And I think that for us, there is a real danger, and I think it's happening in some classrooms, that we're losing our artistry by letting that, that checkbox stuff happen. And so... What I would, my challenge to all of you is the first place you need to find your agency is back in your classroom. Um, and and I, what I mean is we need to claim back and start really prioritising the proven drama pedagogies that we know and we actually, you know, love and they are the things that bring our students joy. We need to reclaim those. You know, I, talking to administrators... Um, there's an anti-academics, you know, there's been a real push for a, a specific selection of um, evidence-based practices. And I'm sure we've all heard that word in schools, yes? But it's a very specific selection of evidence practices. And I would say to you, when someone, um, when, when whole school um, evidence-based practices are being pushed on you and forced on you, correct, for some of us, um, you need to push back. You need to ask the questions, in what context was that data gathered? In what subject area? Was, was that data actually about subject areas that value tacit practical knowledge and assess through tacit practical me practical means? And that's what I would say to you. And that's the way that we are going to bring our artistry and our heart back into education. The other thing I would say to you is that the people who are the decision makers in schools and education and administrators are speaking a language of data. Mm -hmm. They're speaking a language of data and for some of us, we go, mm, not a data person. That you cannot be. You cannot opt out of that conversation. You've got to skill up, you've got to learn the language of data or you can't even enter the conversation. 
And you can't enter the conversation with emotive statements and artistic statements. You've got to speak their language to actually get their respect. And then we can take them on another journey. So that point I would like to make, you know, and I always say to my students, the only way to dis dismantle the master's house is with the master's tools. Mm -hmm. So use them. Um, the other thing I would say, just as a really practical <coughs> thing for those of you in secondary schools is set planning meetings. Uh, that are coming up for many year 10s, get an arts representative inside every set planning meeting that you can. Make sure the conversation is balanced and that you are, you are actually getting your perspective in. Um, so those things were all about kind of school level things. Um, but of course, you know, Judith, we've talked recently about, you know, the public discourse. We have to get involved, not just about arts, but also about education. The fight's on two fronts. And, and I think the only way our students are going to have agency is if we actually, you know, demonstrate it um, and show them what agency looks like. Thanks, Trish. Yeah. And I, I think that call to arms is absolutely right. Mm. We've, we've been so fortunate and, you know, in the, how many, John, 50 years that mm. you've been involved, um, it has, this is as dire as it's been. Mm. And I think, yes. And it does go up and down. It does. It will, but it needs, it needs, it does need... We can't, leave rest. We can't needs, rely that it's it going to come back. It needs classroom <laughs> teachers to be transparent mm -hmm. and to show their work and to talk about their work, which leads us into Julie. Um, and Julie, um, I, was, I was away a couple of months ago and um, someone made this comment about research that, you know, how much more research do we need to prove... <laughs> what we already know and that you could sort of paper the whole of the city, the whole of Brisbane with research about why drama is good and beneficial and has, um, and has benefits right across the curriculum. My first question is why is it so hard to penetrate those stakeholders because you have been at it for a long time yeah. and what's the really new and exciting data that you can point us towards? Um, easy okay. question. It's easy you know, question. <laughs> Thanks, Judith. I guess I guess the it, it flows on from what others are saying here in terms of we live in a world where we talk about evidence-based practice and research-informed activity. The trouble is that we also work in a field that's highly ephemeral, so it's not something that you can, you know, capture a written activity from a student very easily. And then when we move to filming it, it's a very poor version of the reality uh, of the, the practice. So we, we don't work in a field that is easily contained in that kind of data set. So we're already up against it. But I agree with Tricia that we can't step back from it. But I have to say that research is actually our best friend as drama educators and that we actually need to go to the research. And when Judith kind of sent back that, I went, oh, my God, where do we start? And I guess that's where I'm going to put my... I've got, kind of got three hats that I'd like to respond to. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm an adjunct professor at Griffith University now. I've finished my active time there, although I'm still very busy. So I'm, I'm taking that role. I'm also the director of publications of Drama Australia and the editor of NJ, hence my passion for research. I'm also at my heart, and I've just... You asked what to introduce ourselves. What's the, I'm the only person who's obedient yeah. here. Listening, <laughs> listening, the only person who listened. Um, the most exciting thing that's happened to me is that I became a grandmother a month or so ago. Yeah. 
So I am even more passionate about early childhood than I've ever been, and I've always been probably the most passionate early childhood person in Drum, Queensland. So, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, those are the hats I wear. I wear my kind of my university hat, my uh, um, Drum Australia hat, and also my grandmother hat. And for me, one of the most important ones is that we need to not just look at the literature and the research that is about drama. We also need to look at the research and the literature that's about children, how they grow, how they develop, how their language develops, and we have to learn about play. So we need to really reclaim the notion of playfulness mm -hmm. for our field because there is, if we, if we could wallpaper this room with the research about drama, mm -hmm. we could wallpaper the city with the research <clears throat> about the importance of children's play. Mm -hmm. And playfulness is just as important uh, for older people. In fact, one of our, my big research projects was with people at the end of their lives doing research, uh, it was called Playful Engagement, and it was about the importance of playfulness for people at the end of their lives suffering from dementia. Mm. So playfulness is something that we need to reclaim. We need to identify and be strong about the links between creativity, playfulness, and the arts, mm -hmm. and we need to own that space. And I agree with Tricia when people throw, you know, Hattie's mm. uh, latest edict about okay. what the research says, we need to say... Actually, can we challenge that a mm -hmm. little bit? Because just because John Hattie said it doesn't make it right. Mm -hmm. So, Give you know, there is some really important research out there, and this is being recorded. I don't care. I'm retired. Um, so, <laughs> I, I didn't say his name. I didn't say his name. I did. But, <laughs> well, I guess so. It's really important that we, we know about the links between playfulness, creativity, the arts. We also need to be aware that we have this great body of research material, not only in the field of play, but also mm. in creativity and in drama and how they intersect. And I mean, I brought along a book here with a whole lot of, I can't possibly go through it all, mm. but I think what's important is we also need to look in the other literature, which is about wellness, well-being, school belonging. Yeah. And I've got colleagues in the room here, Adrienne, uh, Madonna, Penny, who uh, Natalie, who were involved in the Y Connect project, and the major finding was that school belonging improves when young people feel a sense of connectedness to the school through the arts. That's just one example of exciting project that occurred for three <coughs> years. Adrienne Jones was the uh, the project manager of that, working in her school. So there's great literature, but what we've got to do is be aware of it, which brings me to my third hat, which is NJ. Now, the exciting thing about NJ, we've all always loved NJ, but not all of us have contributed, been able to pay the subscription. It's now completely free, open access, online and open to the world. So you will be able to type in advocacy for drama into the NJ box and pull up every article that's ever been written about that. So that's our gift to you from Drama Australia, that you will now be able wow. to have that. So I guess the uh, important thing is we need you to hit that site and hit it hard. Um, and we're also talking... Um, just last night at Drama Australia board meeting about what we can do about beefing up the advocacy materials mm. that are currently available for you. But there are advocacy materials on the Drama Australia website. So you don't have to go through all of the work, but I would encourage you to start reading some of that fantastic research that's out there. 
Um, but don't forget, it's not just about uh, drama, it's about all of those interconnected fields which, which we can use to talk to our parents, to talk to our students and to talk to our colleagues. Yeah, thank you, Julie. And as you were speaking, you know, I was thinking about the field of neuroscience that I've had such an interest in and how it is just perfect for the developmental theory that you're talking about. So there are lots of ways to, to come at it. Um, and I wholeheartedly support your ideas on play. And um, my grandchild, I have two in prep, and I am now a prep drama teacher, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty wonderful. Um, uh, I'm going to go to Emma, and I'll come back to you about the st STEAM, STEM, uh, Tanya. Um, Queensland Theatre uh, is in a very privileged position, and I know this because I have um, been privy to all of the other companies who would love someone like you um, on their staff, arts companies. Um, I. Um, I guess my question is, do you think the wider arts slash drama community from where you stand um, is aware of what's going on in schools um, and more broadly the changes that are happening in education? Um, and um, if they're not, how can teachers, or if they are, how, but how can teachers play um, more of a part in that wider community? Um, I think I'm really lucky that I work in quite a large education team at Queensland Theatre. There's this year five in total. Um, so in a company that doesn't have that many full-time ongoing staff, that's a significant chunk of people who are actively working um, for the betterment of young people. So that's, that's one thing. Um, certainly I know Queensland Theatre is very aware of the state of... Uh, drama education and the arts in general in Queensland um, and Lee Lewis our artistic director is an absolute proponent for supporting the arts um, and has actually been on the Drama Queensland podcast um, promoting the importance of live theatre and arts as well so that's something that's integral to the way that she runs the company as well. She's from a small country town in rural New South Wales and she always talks about the fact that Drama and the arts is what is what allowed her to be happy um, in her childhood once she found that. So that's certainly something. Um, I think for wh where I sit with regards to the arts advocacy issues is I sit there and I go, I think sometimes we forget how brilliant and amazing and active live theatre is. Um, and, I, and I sometimes wonder how many drama teachers, what was the last live theatre show that you saw um, and how did you then take that into your own practice as well? Um, and same for bringing young people to live theatre. Um, that is their place. They have a really important place in the audience of live theatre. I, I know that often the stage manager of one of our shows will come to me and go, it was a really slow audience last night. Can you please tell me, do we have a school's audience in? The actors love the engagement from young people. They feed off the energy. Um, and so their place in an audience is incredibly important um, because I think there's – that's what makes drama amazing is it is an active participation in live theatre. Um, I think for a young person you can sit there and if you're not reacting the same way as the rest of the audience, it makes you think, why am I not – 
reacting. If, if everyone else is really shocked and you're not, why are you not shocked? So I think it starts to open those questioning um, skills that obviously critical thinking is part of 21st century learning. Um, and so I think that's really important. So bringing your young people to as much live theatre as you can, bringing in schools touring um, as much as you can is incredibly important. And I think also will impact the way that they look at the arts. Because if they have a life-changing experience, they're going to want to continue to study that particular art form. Um, with regards to teachers and industry, I think that one of the biggest blocks with the new syllabus is how it is quite prescriptive with regards to what units you study and when. Um, and I think that the industry also doesn't have the capacity to program their seasons according to the units. Mm. And that comes down to things like, this actor's not available, they're in another show at that time, that director can't do it at that time, this is a co-production with Sydney Theatre and it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Um, and so... It's not that we're against wanting to do that. It's certainly not that at all. I think my, my challenge to teachers um, would be the same challenge that we give to our young people. So when they see live theatre and they don't like the show, I get excited. That's great. I mean, keep buying tickets to Queensland Theatre. But um, I really get to ask the question, well, why? And it gets them to think more outside of the rote learning or formulaic structure of, say, a maths classroom, you know, you can't solve why you didn't like a show with, I don't know, Pythagoras' theorem. Mm -hmm. um, but it's actually asking them, well, what didn't work? Mm -hmm. was, it the, was it that the narrative was, was weak? Was it that the characters weren't convincing? Was the point where there should have been the highest tension, was it lacking? And getting them to articulate what was missing or what went wrong is that critical thinking mm -hmm. skills, which is where I then turn to all of you wonderful people and go... Our shows have all of the things you're looking for, but they're just not wrapped up neatly. I can guarantee you Lee Lewis is not going to be putting on Mother Courage. <laughs> She's not going to be putting on Waiting for Godot. Her, her thing for Waiting for Godot is it's still, you can't mess with it yet. You still have to do it as is. She's got a great idea for it, though, so watch this space in, like, 20 years. Um, she's not going to do that. However, at... The way that contemporary theatre operates is we are using all of those different styles and conventions, but we're just not um, branding it like that because we've also got to cater to the rest of the general public as well who aren't going to know what a Brechtian play is or an absurdist play necessarily, but they're looking at the narrative and the storytelling behind it. So you look at a show, you know, like Return to the Dirt from last year. That show was very Brechtian in nature. It was um, episodic in its structure. It was didactic in the way that it looked at the meaning of life. Um, it had signposting. It had, uh, sorry, placards. It had direct address, narrator. It had all of the styles and conventions of a Brechtian show, but also was Steve Perry's personal story, so nicely fitted into Unit 1. So I guess my 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 challenge to all of you is to look beneath the story that's put on the season program. Give me a call and say, hey, we're looking for a show around this time. Have you got anything? Because probably we do. The way that we sort of program our seasons and the way that it 
operates, we can make something work. I guess the most important thing I'm hearing from you, Emma, is be engaged. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that your phone is always or email is always available. And I love the idea that it's not thumbs up or thumbs down. Like, um, I want to go back to you, Tanya, just to um, finish this part of it. Um, you um, said that you are now leading a STEAM program. Is that correct? So the school invested, it's the biggest transformation in the school's 150-year history. And they've, um, you know, $70 million on a STEAM precinct. Um, so imagine a Westfield shopping centre on a school. That's what they're building as a STEAM precinct. Five years ago, I did a action research project on maker learning and I decided to incorporate robotics and drama. And I presented it in South Africa and the, um, my conference title was called Robopocalypse um, because I don't want to alarm you about the, they're basically coming to take over the world. And it, I, had the largest, I had the largest number of um, participants in that program. That sparked my interest in kind of design thinking and um, maker learning. But when the precinct was being built, they kept talking about STEAM and the A just being art. And I went, oh, I'm sorry, hold the phone. Um, and it's really going on what um, Trish is saying about as drama educators, you need a seat at the table at your school. Mm. So if there's an operational committee, be on that. If there's a steering committee in technology, be on that. So when STEAM was being built, I saw all the attributes that um, a school wants and a rationale and mission for STEAM is what we already do in drama. It's just labelled a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So I, re- I people didn't know that me going for that job was five years in the making for it. So I, when I went for that interview, I was very well prepared. And I thought that there would be people at the school that thought, why is a drama educator leading this? But there was a big sense of relief from our school community because they knew that I would contribute to the creative lens. Fast forward to this morning, we did an innovation summit workshop. So I conceptualised a middle school innovation summit and some of the STEAM programs are engineering, drones, um, sports science. However, using the aesthetic context that we love in drama... When you are doing drones, you're enrolled as SES workers. I promise I did this before there was flooding. Um, If you're doing engineering and air quality control, because how boring, right? No, because guess what? It's a Mars Life program and it's about our survival. So all these actual STEAM programs I will make more exciting for students But from the inside with drama, it was about succession planning. So a great team of young drama teachers, it was my turn to move on to do something new and give them the opportunity to um, demonstrate leadership. And then the big picture with the school is to have drama involved in in STEAM. And um, really there's no... I haven't found very much research on drama's involvement in it, but it's such a big part of pitching, of enterprise, of entrepreneurial ideas, of take of problem solving. Preaching to the choir, 
But um, but such an interesting perspective, Tanya, yeah. because, um, I mean, when you think about it, um, 45 years ago, drama in schools was just beginning. Is it that old? Has it been that long, John, around that, hasn't it? Around? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, 45 years ago, there would have been two pages, two yellow pages in the primary English school, uh, language arts handbook. Yeah. With the only mention of yeah. drama yeah. in any official education yeah. department document. Yeah. And even there was drama being done. Yeah mainly in private schools. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what I think is exciting mm. about what you're talking about, and you've raised two issues, I think, is in this room now, there is such a wealth of knowledge. There are more doctors in this room and more <laughs> professors in this room than, and 45 years ago there were none. Mm-hmm. So we are a new field. And I think you raising the point about don't stay where you are, keep going, keep exploring where you can go so that you can hand it on to younger people. Um, I think that's a tremendous point that you've made. We're a really smo- smart, <laughs> smart um, <laughs> co- cohort of educators. You have to demystify people about that. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, there's not one textbook that is given to us. We work off a syllabus, but we generate our own work mm-hmm. in the classroom. Mm-hmm. When we when we take a play, it's all our interpretation. Mm-hmm. But you have to, you know, there is still that myth of the drama teacher being unorganised and it's ridiculous. And I, I realised we are steam operators in drama. Last year <laughs> we built a set in a hall. We had coders come in and do blending software. The amount of engineers we've had to hang dead bodies off a roof. I'm sorry, guys, but that's just what happens. Um, <laughs> AV, lighting, all of it, we are steam operators. Yes, and you yeah. just have to go and see dead poets yeah. to know yes. that we... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all there. Yeah. Okay, um, we, we're going to have to wind up. Um, I just wanted to make the point, um, Stephanie and Scott, on our pre-meeting that the issues that we know are present, the structural issues, Drama Queensland is taking a very active part Mm -hmm. and is actually moving those those discussions forward. So have a talk to um, the board of Drama Queensland over the time. We're going to sort of wrap up because we're only supposed to have half an hour and we've gone over. Um, I'm going to ask each one of the panel um, if they could uh, a statement or a question um, that they would something pithy, some when they are asked when they are asked to talk about why drama. What's their go-to elevator pitch? Who wants to start? I've got mine because I've used it for um, for 20 years, which is the number one thing that employers look for in, across any field, whether it's medicine, engineering, um, law or the arts, is creative thinkers. It is the number one thing they want, creative and flexible thinkers, and there is no subject that offers that more in terms of collaborative, autonomous and creative learning, more than drama, word. Thank you. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> Julie. Um, I'm going to steal a quote from one of the young people from the high school where we did the Y Connect project. She was a young person who'd suffered tremendously from our government's decision-making in terms of refugees, and her comment was, drama it makes me feel human. 
And I think that's a wonderful thing for a child who's been through so much to say. So if it's about our humanness, we might want to pass that on to our parents. I think for me, after working in um, an elite private school, the selling point for me was we are educating, because Quentin Bryce went to the school, we had the you know, Governor-General of Australia, so they were very much about we are educating the leaders. And so I just would always give back to them that we are educating the leaders in drama. We are making the people who can speak, who can empathise and who can hold a room, and that's why we are the place for leadership. Some leaders can empathise. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Some can't speak too. <laughs> Um, I'm in the very privileged position that I don't need to argue to my workplace the importance of the arts. Um, however, to yeah, to my mum. Uh, no, my one of my favourite um, quotes was actually said to me. It's been said a number of ways, but I love the concept of arts isn't going to change the world, but the arts will change the people who will change the world. Um, I think that drama is the ultimate subject. And I think that the drama classroom is an aesthetic laboratory Whoa. like no other, Ooh, to quote someone else. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and I'm going to finish with a quote from Olivia Lang. I don't know if you know her writing. She's an English woman, very interesting. And this is from uh, a book of essays called Funny Weather. And she says this, We're so often told that art, substitute drama, can't really change anything, but I think it can. It shapes our ethical landscape. It opens up to the interiors, interior lives of others. It's a training ground for possibility. It makes plain inequities and it offers other ways of living. So my provocation is what would happen to society if we did have a course of inquiry that did this? I wonder. And we do have it. Ethical humans who understand each other, who are trained to be non-habitual and creative, who live in a fairer world and think deeply about what life's purpose is other than a neoliberal approach that only focuses on the circulation of money. Now, that's a course I'd like to take. Oops, I have. It's drama. Okay. And just one, one final quote I want to leave you with. I only, heard, I only read this recently because I've been on this wonderful spiritual journey um, since I've had a bit of time. And uh, I don't know if you know Ram Dass's writing, but he said this, and I think this is a lovely thing to take away with you. You know, what we are doing as teachers is that we are walking each other home. And I think if you just think about that, all of, the t all of the people we work with and the students, we're really just walking them home to the next part of their journey. So that's it. Thank you so much. I think there was some really rich discussion there about how we can continue to advocate for drama in such a meaningful way, but also some really actionable steps. So hopefully you all got a lot out of that panel. I know I did. Um, so can we please um, thank our panellists again? Thank you.